Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Well, let's start in Psalms 51. And I must warn you that uh, I'm going to start with a bit of a controversial verse because you know how some people that are skeptics maybe of Christianity, skeptics of maybe the Bible, and they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, I don't believe the Bible because it contradicts itself. Now, in most cases, the things that somebody would bring out with an argument like that, they just don't understand really how to interpret Scripture. They're not looking at Scripture fairly. Sometimes there'll be two accounts of the same story in two different spots in the Bible, and one account will give more detail than the other. It's not a matter of contradiction. It's just a matter of more detail. However, there are people out there that say that I don't believe the Bible because it contradicts. Well, I'm going to take a risk and read a couple verses that, at first glance, man, it sure looks like we have a contradicting scripture going on right here. So buckle your faith seatbelts right now, and uh, let's see if we can make it through this. Psalm chapter 51, verse 16, this is the psalmist David praying to God, talking about God. This is what he says. And catch this. He says, God, you don't delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. He says, you take no pleasure in burnt offerings, or I bring them. Okay, let me say it one more time. He says, God, you don't delight in sacrifices. That's why I don't even mess with it. You don't delight in that stuff. You don't delight in burnt offerings. If you did, I'd I'd do some. But God, you don't like that stuff. That's what he said in verse 16. Let's see what David says now in verse 19. Three verses later, same psalmist, talking to the same God, describing the same God, This is what he says. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifice. Verse 16, you don't delight in sacrifice. Verse 19, you will delight in sacrifice. Is David got some mental problems here? What's going on? Uh, Verse 16, you take no pleasure in burnt offerings. Verse 19, you will delight in whole burnt offerings. Contradiction in scripture. There it is. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Church is dismissed. Amen. We can't stop there. No. But boy, at first glance, it's like God doesn't delight in the stuff, sacrifices, offerings, or I bring them. Since he doesn't like them, I'm not going to mess with them. Three verses later, God, you love this stuff. So something changes between verses 16 and verse 19, and I will submit to you what it is. It's verse 17. So verse 16, let's start there again. You don't delight in sacrifice, or I bring it. You don't like that. You take no pleasure in burnt offerings, or I bring it. Verse 17, though says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's why then in verse 19 he says, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. You will delight in burnt offerings offered on your altar. What changed between verse 16 and verse 19? Brokenness. Brokenness changes everything. I mean, it changes as I try to offer my life to God. It doesn't matter how much I worship, how much I pray, how much I serve. If I'm not broken, God says, I'm sorry, I'm not interested in that. I don't delight in that. I take no pleasure in that. But if I'm broken, if I have a contrite, 
David calls it this way, a broken and a contrite heart. That word contrite has really more to do with repentance. We're not talking about brokenness in despair. I want you to understand that. Everybody hear me. I'm not talking about that you have to have a broken heart due to despair. I'm not saying that you have had to have gone through something that broke your heart and then what you do for God is pleasing to God. No, we're talking about a heart that breaks away from itself. A heart that breaks away from its own bend towards sin, which our heart is deceitful and will do, but a heart that breaks away from itself, a heart that breaks away from sin, and then what I have to offer God now becomes pleasing to God because of brokenness. That's why brokenness is so important. And every time I talk about brokenness or think about it, I can't help but remember back to a time in my life that I, it's not my highest mark as a parent, but I'm going to go ahead and confess it to you all because confession's good. But my, my daughter, I have one daughter and, and four sons, and, um, and uh, my daughter, when she was in high school, she was probably a junior in high school, uh, she was at physical education class. They were out playing soccer. She has some sort of collision with somebody and hurts her leg. And so she came home that day. She said, man, I hurt my leg in PE class. And we were just like, oh, that's crazy. All right, you know, let's see how it goes, right? So then the next day she wakes up and she's getting ready for school. Boy, it still hurts. And we're like, well, it'll probably be fine. Just walk it off, you know. She's a tough girl. All right. And uh, she goes to school, comes home that night, and man, it's really hurting. And uh, I think at that point she starts talking about, I wonder if I should maybe go to the doctor. And uh, we jumped right in there with the answer to that question. And we were like, no, you probably don't need to go to the doctor. And here's why we said that. Because, again, with all those kids, and they'd all played sports growing up. We'd been to those kinds of doctors many, many times with different little injuries, right? And I always got the same response from the orthopedic doctors, and they're all great. I'm not saying this is not a, 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 you know, some sort of a, attack on orthopedic doctors. I'm just saying, with the, with the injuries that we brought most of the time, here's what we got. Yeah, they would say this. They'd say, oh yeah, probably a little bit of a sprain or something. Tell you what, stay off of it for two or three weeks and then we'll take another look. It should be fine. I'd be like, all right. And then I'd be like, well, how much was that advice? They'd be like, that's several hundred dollars for me to say that. That's what I thought. So that had happened to me, to us multiple times. And so then when my daughter was saying, I, want, I think maybe we should go to the doctor, I, I just told her, I was like, I can tell you what he's gonna say, but I'll tell you for free. Stay off of it for a couple weeks and then we'll see how it goes. And so I sent her off to school. And so this went on for a few days. I don't want to say exactly how many days because I don't need the judgment from you, okay? But this went on for a few days. And, and on one day I'm sitting in the office and I get a call from the school nurse. And Sydney had gone to the school nurse because her leg was hurting her enough. And so the school nurse calls and says, Sydney's here in my office. She hurt her leg a little while back. I said, yeah, I remember that. Uh, I know that. Uh, they said, she goes, I think she should probably go get it checked out at, you know, orthopedic. I said, yeah, that's kind of what we were thinking too. And uh, <laughs> so I go pick up my daughter from school. And I have to admit, again, not my highest point as a parent. I pick her up. I have to admit, I was a little frustrated. I have to admit, my eyes were rolled back in my head a little bit. I'm like, Sydney, like... What's going on? I know, Dad, but it, it hurts. It's like, I know, but I'm just telling you, this is what the doctor's going to say. And so, fine, all right, we'll go. And I just, horrible attitude, horrible disposition. I'm driving to the doctor, and we get to the doctor's office. We walk in there, explain to him what's going on. He says, all right, well, let's go get a x-ray. So he walks her back in the thing, and 
puts her whatever, does the x-ray, comes back out from the x-ray room, walks into the office that I was waiting in, and he's holding in his hand the little black and white clear x-ray sheet thingy. As you can tell, my medical training's pretty intense. Uh, and, he, and he has the little white wall, the, the light wall that they put in him. He pops that thing up into the light wall. And again, I don't have a medical degree, but I mean, the moment he popped that thing up, in the, up on the wall, I was like, that doesn't look good. Uh, he goes, first thing he said, well, as you can see, obviously it's broken. And I was like, yeah. You know, doctor, that's why we came here, because you can't be too careful when it comes to injuries like this. And we just told her, honey, we just need to go get this checked out just in case. Now, I don't know if the doctor bought my, uh, my attempt at covering my sin, but... Uh, um, uh, and so, yeah, she had broken her uh, fibula. It's the smaller bone down there, not the, not the tibia. I'm really good with this. Uh, and so the, the, front, the smaller bone, and so you're able to kind of walk on it, but you turn a certain way, it would hurt real bad or whatever. And so she, they put, her, uh, put a, a boot on her walking boot. She had wore that for a couple of weeks. And the reason why I show that is this, is because when we got back into the car, driving back to the school, I have to admit to you, that my attitude and my countenance, my interaction with my daughter was so different than it was on the way to the doctor. On the way home from the doctor, my entire attitude has, had changed. And you know what had, the difference between on the way to the doctor and on the way home from the doctor was brokenness. Wow. Now I just saw her in a different way because of brokenness. Now before she had been in the same, like, I don't know, the same kitchen in the same living room with all the other family and she looked like everybody else. She'd sat in the same classrooms and from the outside, she looked like everybody else. But on the inside, like she knew something was not right. She knew she was broken. And I guess it's kind of like us, like we can come to church and we can look the part and we can be involved and we can lift our hands and we can come to prayer meetings, but only we, only you truly know your level of brokenness. See, only you know if God's going, but there's an area of your life that you've not surrendered to me. There's an area that you won't allow. There's an area of your will, of your pride that you're keeping for yourself, and we can't tell by looking at you. Only you know how broken you are. Brokenness changes everything that we offer to God. And I said we were gonna also look at Mark chapter 14. And it's this passage and this story, amazing passage and uh, a story in scripture all about brokenness. So we'll start in verse three. Mark chapter 14, verse three, it says this. While he was in Bethany and he, here is Jesus. While Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard and she she broke the jar, she poured the perfume on his head. And some of those that were present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? I mean, this could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. You can help them anytime you want. 
but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Pause right there. We're going to continue. But this story, this passage is actually a contrast between brokenness and betrayal. Because look what happens right there after verse 9 and verse 10. After this moment of, of, of brokenness, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this. And they promised to give him money. So Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. That's what I want us to do is just contrast brokenness with betrayal. And first we'll spend some time on, on, on this thought of, of brokenness. Because as I look at this scripture and what I, what I know to be true about our own brokenness from, from, from sin and from the past and from who we used to be, brokenness is costly. Brokenness will, will cost you something. And it was the way, that's how it was in this case. We, we see there in verse 3, this woman takes this jar of very expensive perfume and she breaks the jar very, very expensive. Uh, this perfume was a, a particular spice, a particular, uh, from, 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 from India, uh, aromatic oil. Uh, matter of fact, we read in verse 5 that this one jar of this perfume cost more than a year's wages. And I like that it's worded like that because we can all get context with that. If it gave an amount, we'd have to do uh, currency trends, uh, tr you know, switches, and we'd have to go, okay, inflation from that time to this time. But it just gives it that way. And we can all relate to a year's wages. We can all kind of do that in our mind and go, okay, how much do I make in a year? And if I was going to take what I make in a year and purchase one thing, with all the money that it takes me a year to make, and I take this one thing, and then I break it in the presence of God. That's costly. And brokenness will cost you something. But here's the thing about cost. Most of us don't mind cost. You say, I do. Well, hold on. I said, most of us don't mind costly if we see the value in it. Because if we're being honest, like most of us spend more money on whatever than we actually have to to survive, to stay alive. For instance, most of us spend more money on food than we actually have to. Like, you ain't just living on oats only. You know what I'm saying? Like, every meal, just oats. Maybe a couple beans just for dessert, you know? Like, that's not how you're doing life. So we spend more because we see some value. So some of you might go to a nice restaurant every once in a while because you just want to, and it's more than you have to. You could do Taco Bell every meal, but you don't. And so every once in a while, you bump it up to, like, Burger King or something. I don't know, but, but you spend more than you have to. Or maybe on clothes. Most of us spend more than we absolutely have to. I mean, I mean, we could, we could dial it down, dial it back probably for most of us in some way. We spend more on transportation than we absolutely have to. A lot of us do. I've been in the parking lot. I know what you drive, all right? <laughs> no, we spend more on entertainment than we have to because we could survive without the, the big TV. We could survive without the streaming packages. We could survive. We could still be alive without the internet. And I said some of this stuff last night in service, and I promised there was a teenage girl sitting in the middle. She looked at her mom. She went like this. She said, Mom, don't, don't get any ideas. We cannot survive without those things. She was dead serious. 
And so if you think about it, we don't have a problem with cost if we see value in it. There was a, a, a family back in 2007 in New York. They went to a garage sale. And uh, they see this bowl at the garage sale, simple little bowl. They kind of like it, thought it was pretty. They asked how much. The person said $3. So they paid their $3 and they took this bowl, put it up on the mantle in their house. Five or six years later, there was somebody that was at their house and they started asking them about the bowl that they had got at the garage sale. They said, oh yeah, we bought that years ago at a garage sale. I think we paid like $3 for it. They said, oh, it's pretty. They start looking closer at it. They said, I think this bowl might like actually be something. Have you ever looked into this? They said, no. So they start doing some research on it, start to figure some stuff out. Turns out that bowl was over a thousand years old. And it was from the Northern Song Dynasty in China. They start doing some research and they started saying, you know what, if you put this up for auction, it looks like this bowl should, uh, should draw about $200,000 in auction. And so this family did what any smart family did would do. They'd be like, let's auction that thing. Let's get rid of it. No sentimental value at all. And so they auction it. And when it goes to auction, somebody from London ends up buying that bowl, but they didn't buy it for $200,000. Uh, that bowl was purchased in auction for $2 million. How many is going garage sale next weekend? Amen. Let's do it. Just pray to be led by the Spirit. Just be like, Lord, just show me which items to buy. I promise to tithe off of the auction. Amen. No, here's what I'm wondering. What about that original family? What were they doing? What were they doing with their lives? What were they thinking to sell this bowl, this $2 million bowl for $3? Why would they do that? I'll tell you why. Because they did not understand its value. And when we talk about being broken before God, some of us start to get worried and we go, yeah, well, I'll give God this and I'll give God this, but this one area of my life, I don't want to be broken from. This one, I don't want God to break this off my life, this pleasure, this addiction. I don't want God to mess with this relationship. And if you struggle with that, if you struggle with being, allowing God to truly break your heart and break your heart away from all of the sin, if you struggle with that, I promise you this is why. It's only because you've not yet tasted and seen how good God is. It's only because you don't understand the value. Because when you understand how valuable he is, is there anybody in the room, anybody in the campuses that goes, I know how valuable he is. No matter what I have to give up, no matter what kind of relationship I have to change, no matter what kind of attitude I got to change, no matter what kind of past experience I need to let go of, he is always worth it. I just, get, I just get a little concerned about people who want to have a relationship with Jesus, maybe even have maybe a, a level of deception that they've deceived themselves in thinking that they do have a relationship with Jesus, but yet they still live in covenant with sin. My God. On, the reason why I get concerned about it is because David goes, if my heart isn't broken, then everything I offer you're not interested in anyway, God. So I get nervous about people who go, no, I'm, I mean, I've been in counseling sessions with people where we're talking about, oh, I love the Lord and I pray all the time and I try to be led of the Spirit and then we're talking about this and then all of a sudden it'll come out, this one area of their life that is completely unredeemed. This one covenant with sin, with one covenant with fornication, this one covenant with addiction, this one covenant with deception. And they're going, now, oh, but I think it's working. And it's just a scary place to be 
When we don't value God enough to say, God, it's, it's all yours. Every, every habit that needs to be broken off my life, every, rela- every conversation that needs to be redeemed, it's yours, God. And he's worth it. So brokenness is costly. Brokenness will also be criticized most of the time. Boy, it certainly happened in this story. In verse 4, it says, Some of those that were present, as this woman takes this very expensive, this costly perfume and, and breaks it, some of those were present and started saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And then Jesus was like, Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The, the disciple or disciples that started to kind of say some of this criticism, they were using a custom that the Jews had at this time, the eve of Passover. A lot of times they would give money uh, to the poor at this particular time and season of the year. And so they decided to use that against her and kind of say, well, see, this is the eve of the Passover. This money could have been done for that. And so it blows me away because this was such a beautiful expression of worship and love. I mean, we would have all loved to be in that room that night. I mean, can you imagine just being over in the corner of the room? You're not even really maybe paying attention to what's going on right there. And then you just smell the fragrance. And that's the first thing you notice. And you go, what's going on? And you start to go over. And here's this woman just in a worship. Just this costly, amazing worship. And you just, it would just have to be so moving. And yet in that beautiful moment of worship and love, also in the same exact environment, there is hatred and jealousy. Wow. wow. What a reaction. And that's where the criticism starts to come from. So they begin to criticize her. And I guess I'd want to warn everybody that's a part of this message right now is that the day that you decide to truly sell out to Jesus, the day that you decide to say, God, break it all off my life. Anything that doesn't look like you, just get rid of it. God, I allow you. The moment you do that, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Maybe you're here, maybe one of the campuses, and you've never become just a full-fledged follower of Christ. I'll just warn you now. If you make that decision, know this. You will be opening yourself up to a new level of criticism. Not everybody in your life, not everybody in the world is going to celebrate your decision to truly honor God with your whole life. And you might as well be prepared for it. Because it's going to be all right. You, you, you have to be in that, in that place. And I guess as I look back on kind of like the, the church, and I'm, I'm talking about the church maybe nationally in this country. I'm not talking about any specific church. But let me just show you kind of what I have felt happened over the last couple of decades in the church in this country. I'll say the late 90s, maybe the 2000s. The church enjoyed kind of a little bit of a unique season, a little bit of a renaissance for the church. And here's what I mean by that. The church got really good at doing church. Our production level, again, I'm not talking about faith assembly. I'm talking about the church just nationally in our country. But we got really good at doing church. And the, uh, the, the uh, production level kind of got better. And the, the music got a better quality. And the preaching even got better. And uh, the, 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 you know, the, the, the way that we can communicate the gospel, just a lot more creative. Like, and, 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 and people just started liking it. As a matter of fact, even, even non-Christians, like the church got so good that non-Christians could come to church and be like, I mean, I'll serve Jesus, but I like it around here. I kind of like how it feels. And it's real positive. You know, I get the church is going, yes, look at this. Even the world loves us. This is awesome. Until, and we should have seen it coming. Until the world turned on us. And the world started going, well, wait. 
There's this little topic over here and this topic over here and this, and we don't like you anymore. And matter of fact, if you guys talk about that, it must mean that you're hateful and mean and horrible and toxic, and we don't want anything to do with you. And so what happened to, again, just overall, the church, then we were faced with this moment of like, well, I liked it when I was loved by everybody, and now I'm being criticized. What am I supposed to do with that? And it was a temptation for leadership in the church to go, well, maybe we'll just change what we preach a little bit. Maybe we'll just not, because I don't want to make anybody mad and I don't want to, I want everybody to like me. And so we'll change what we preach. Maybe we'll hide what we really believe. I've seen, I've seen people on TV, you know, church leaders ask pointed questions and I've seen them try to dance around the question to hide what they believe. And I'm sitting there going, I know what you believe. Because I just know, and you won't say it. And we're hiding it because we don't want to be criticized. We change. Well, we won't talk about that. Or let's, we'll change what the scripture even means. I mean, it's been exegeted the same way for 2,000 years. But now we'll say it means something different than it's meant the last 2,000 years. Why did that happen? Because we got afraid of criticism. And Jesus actually said, you know what? Criticism's going to come. He, he said, uh, the, the world is going to hate you. That's, that's, that's normal. John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. The youth ministry right now, as they're, kind of as their back to school uh, series, it's just called Hated. You go, well, that sounds harsh. No, it's just Jesus. Because it's not saying, hold on, amen. We're not saying go out there and act ugly to people. We're not, that's not what we're saying. Go out there and just be hateful towards everybody because they hate you anyway. Get in fights with them. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that Jesus warned us and said, hey, if you're broken before me, if you do this thing right, not everybody's going to be all that excited about it. If you stand upon for something right and somebody's going the wrong direction, they're going to collide with you. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, they'd love you. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. He said, I've chosen you out of the world. That's why. Why do they hate you? Because you've been chosen out of the world. That's why they hate you. And matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed. He said, be, just be happy when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why would Jesus say that we should be happy about that? Well, let me say it this way. Um, when my oldest son, Isaac, was about 11 or 12 years old, he played Little League Baseball, uh, and he was pitching in a game, and I was at the game, was doing well, team was winning, started going deeper into the game, maybe fourth or fifth inning, he started getting a little tired, started throwing a couple balls, walking a couple batters, a couple run or two scores, hits a batter, and all this stuff going on, we're still winning, but the margin of our lead is starting to shrink. And this little kid on third base, his name was Jamie. I don't know if I should share his name publicly like that, but I've done it all the other services, so let's just go for it. I'm sure he's a fine young man now, but at that time, he was a little guy with a big mouth. Amen. All right. And uh, Jamie was on third, and so as this starts to unfold, Jamie starts to make it very clear what his thoughts are on Isaac's pitching performance. And he starts to go, come on, man, throw a strike, man. What's going on? We, we're going to lose this game. And then throws another ball. And then uh, he starts going, coach, get him out, man. Take him out of the game. We're going to lose this game. And I'm over there as Isaac's dad, and I'm taking all this I can take. Like, I'm just like, 
Lord, help me. And, uh, and he throws another pitch, and he starts up again. Throws his glove down. He's like, come on, man, we're going to lose this game. Come on, this is ridiculous. And I finally had about all I could handle. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me and anoints me. And I walked over him. <laughs> I'm not so sure if the spirit was a part of this or not. Let me correct that. I grabbed the fence and I looked through that right by third base. I said, Jamie, he looks at me like, what are you doing? And I said, why don't you try encouraging your teammates instead of tearing them down all the time? Yes, that's right. You guys like that. Jamie didn't think that was so great. Like he didn't feel the same warmth and fuzzy that y'all just felt with that truth. So then another pitch goes through. Uh, and maybe it was a ball, and he starts going, oh, that was awesome, good pitch, oh, that was great, being real sarcastic. And then he looks at me, makes eye contact with me, goes, is that what you wanted? Is that what you had in mind? And I'm looking at this kid like, what are you doing? Who are you? Do you know who I am? Like, what's going on? I got worried that the Lord was gonna strike him dead for messing with the Lord's anointed right there. But it turns out God was like, you're not that big of a deal. He's gonna be fine. All right. So we end up winning the game, I think, and we get in the car and run our way home. And uh, I looked at Isaac, I said, man, could you believe what Jamie was saying there during the game? He said, what? I said, you didn't hear him? He goes, no, what happened? <laughs> I said, well, let me tell you what happened. I began to tell him the story. I told him what I did. He's looking at me kind of crazy because it was a little bit outside my, he hadn't seen me act like that too much, right? And uh, I said, yeah, and then this happened. And, and as I'm telling him, I start to think, maybe I shouldn't be telling him this because he didn't even know what happened and now he might feel some sort of way towards Jamie. I'm thinking, maybe I shouldn't even say this. But I just find myself keeping talking and then I, I kind of realize in my own mind, I'm thinking as I'm telling him this, I'm like, actually, I do want to tell him this story because I'm okay if my son knows that if criticism starts to be pointed his way, he can expect his dad to step right in and take some bullets with him. I want him to know that if unfair criticism... And I think that's why Jesus said, blessed are when people start to do that stuff. Blessed, Jesus said, because you're going to see a side. Jesus says, you're going to see a side of me that you ain't seen any other way. When I step in and I got your back, when you're broken enough to be criticized for it, you're going to see a side of God that maybe you won't see any other way. Brokenness might be criticized. I, I love this. Brokenness will also be consequential. And I gotta hurry, but man, do I love this part. Because after Jesus defends her, he says, you guys, you guys chill out, be quiet. But then in verse eight, look at what Jesus said. He says, she did what she could. I could pause right there, preach a long time on just doing what you could. Like we would see revival, we would impact this city, we could change the world if we would all just do what we could. Not, nobody has to step out and do something beyond what you can do, but if you could just do what you could. But she does what she could. She pours perfume on my body. Look at what Jesus says here. She's pouring perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And I will submit to you that when he said, she's doing this to prepare for my burial, I promise that that young lady turned around, looked up at Jesus and said, I did what? <laughs> to prepare for what? Hold up, what now? Burial? You mean like death? What are we, what are we talking about here? And I just love the fact that Jesus took this action and this woman didn't even, it's just what she could do. 
and he adds such a depth of consequence to it. Like she's in here just going, I can do this. I know I love Jesus and I can be broken and I can break this and I can worship him in this way. And he says, you know what? I'm gonna take what you're doing right now, this little temporal moment, and it's gonna be eternal. I'm getting ready to give my life a ransom for many and you are now a part of this redemption story. You are now preparing for my, my burial. And she had no idea. I'm so glad I serve a God that can take the little nonsense that I can offer and he can add some importance to it. I'm so glad that I serve a God because you may say, I don't have much, but just do what you can. Like for instance, some of y'all, you got yourself into church today. And maybe it was such a rough week, you didn't even know if you could do that. And you drug your way, you drug your way into church, and you're like, I got here. And God says, all right, I'm going to take what you did, because you did what you could, and I'm getting ready to give you such a breath of power. I'm getting ready to import in you something that you've needed for so long. Some may say, well, all I do is I just usher or I greet. I just serve in the kids' ministry. That's not that important. I just serve in the youth ministry. I just lead a connect group. Oh, but you don't understand. God takes that, that, that simple, practical thing that you do, and he just adds this eternal component, this supernatural, this, this, this natural stuff, right, that we have to offer, and he just adds this supernatural component to it. And it happens when brokenness takes the, 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 the little just goofiness that I have to offer, the practical, and adds a spiritual component to it. And so that's brokenness, but as I said, this scripture was a contrast of brokenness and betrayal. And it was seen that when you're around God without being broken, betrayal usually comes. And that's the danger of a lack of brokenness. We see this in the life of Judas. Now this, this incident is also recorded in John chapter 12. And when you're around Jesus without being broken, that betrayal a lot of times will birth a few things. I just want to quickly as we, we end, this is what I want to end with. Just what betrayal can birth. Number one, betrayal can birth incomplete transformation. So again, in John's version of this same incident, look what it says, verse six. It says, he did not say this, talking about John's criticism of, uh, I'm sorry, Judas's criticism of this, of this woman. It says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, because he didn't, he was a thief. You go, wait a minute. I thought Judas was one of the disciples and he's a thief? Right, because somewhere along the line, somewhere part of his transformation just got stunted and halted. And he's still a thief. Matter of fact, he's the keeper of the money bag. He's still using, helping himself to what was put in the money bag. He's still a thief stealing from Jesus, and yet he's one of the disciples by number, but he's not one of the disciples by nature. Why? Because of lack of brokenness. Because he was around Jesus, but wouldn't let Jesus truly break that who he was off of his life. You cannot associate yourself with who you were and who he is at the same time. I got to say that again for somebody. You cannot claim who you were and who he is at the same time. You're going to have to choose one. So there he is in this weird, incomplete transformation state, running around with Jesus, but not acting like Jesus. Betrayal also births within us a misplacement of priorities. When I'm around the things of God it, it, and I'm not broken before, my priorities would go all, all crazy. Verse 5. 
Why wasn't this money sold and the money given to the poor? This is what Judas says. It was worth a year's wages. If we pause right there, we say, well, that's kind of a good point. But look at the next verse. He didn't say it because he cared about the poor. Caring about the poor was not his priority. No, Judas was in a position where he had to pretend what his priorities were. Mm, that's a tough way to live life, isn't it? Right? Having to pretend that I care about these things. Having to pretend that my priorities are one thing when they're not. Judas lost his sense of brokenness because he was physically around ministry that emotionally he was not connected to. It's a dangerous place to live. And a lack of brokenness will mess with your priorities. Finally, a lack of brokenness, this betrayal that comes from it, also will birth a derailment of your destiny. And I think a lot of you know this, but it does not end well for Judas. In verse 4, the house is filled with this fragrance. But, but one of the disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, he's the one that objected. And it says right there, who is later to betray him. Like, this is the trajectory he's on. This is the path he's on. We can't complain about the destination when that's the path we're on. Because if I choose this path, I'm also choosing the destination. It's amazing. Some of us land somewhere and we go, what happened? What's going on? We knew what path we were on. This is the path he's on. It's going to end up in betrayal. It's going to end up where Judas comes in and takes 300 pieces of silver uh, to turn Jesus, 30 pieces of silver to turn Jesus over. And, uh, and the moment he walks out, starts to feel this condemnation, this regret, runs out, hangs himself in such despair and regret and condemnation. It didn't end well. And it didn't have to be like that. But being around Jesus without being broken we usually lead to betrayal. And that's what brings us to us. Like it's, if we're gonna be in this environment, then we gotta be all in. Like, like I've heard people preach that she broke the jar because she needed access to an entry point. She needed entry into the jar, and so she had to break it because it didn't have an entry uh, otherwise. And that, that might be true, but there are other scholars who believed that this jar probably did have some sort of cork or some sort of opening, and if she wanted to, she could have pulled that and poured a little bit out. And so that some scholars believe that she didn't break it to get entry to the jar. She broke it to get access to the entirety of the jar. Like she wasn't gonna just dabble a little bit out, but she broke it because she thought some of this ointment's gonna be stuck to the sides of the inside of this jar. So I wanna break it so I can just get in and scrape out every single bit of this. Although it's costly, although I'm being criticized, I'm gonna do this thing right and get everything I can get. And that's what it's got to look like for us. We can't come to God and say, God, I'll give you most of me. God, I'll give you the parts of me that are easy, but these other areas, I just can't let you break these off my life. No, it's gotta be all or nothing. I was praying with the, the, the altars at this camp I was preaching at in the state of Kansas several years ago. I was walking through this young man, probably 17 years old, grabs me as I'm walking by. He says, will you pray for me? I said, what? He seemed desperate. And he said, will you pray? Because I just don't feel God. I haven't felt God in a long time and I don't know what to do. And I started to lay hands on him and I started to pray a prayer that I prayed for many, many kids. I prayed over my own kids, but I began to pray for him and say, God, just give him a heart that's sensitive to you. And I believe that prayer. And so I was getting ready to pray that prayer. And as I'm just getting ready to say it, God stops me. He goes, hold up. Don't pray that prayer right now. He said, ask him this question. 
He said, ask him this. And so I looked this kid in the eye and said, before I pray, let me ask you a question. I said, is there something God's been dealing with you about? Is there something that you know that God's trying to get out of your life and you've not let him? And before I can even finish the question, I mean these huge tears well up in his eyes. He didn't have to tell me the answer. And he knew exactly what it was. I still don't know what it was. I know this. He knew exactly what it was. And here's this kid going, I want to offer God some things, but I don't want to be broken. It doesn't work. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.